we, last week, we uh, began to talk about enough around food and, and what would happen, not just in our own lives and the health that you know, we're called to, but then globally, if we ate differently or perhaps followed a practice that's woven throughout the Bible of enough. And, and we see this practice around food, especially within the disparity that can happen between, you know, those that have an overabundance and those that do not have enough to put on their tables. And we continue to say that God's desire for us is not to have more than enough at all times, but to have enough so that we can live more fully and so that the world around us can live more fully and flourish. It's a, a both and with how we approach it. And as we talk about it, there is no uh, way of avoiding the topic for this morning, which is uh, uncomfortable but true, is around the idea of God's intention for us around enough relates to food, relates to sort of the capacity, the things we do, and the idea of rest and Sabbath, and also with a principle of how we handle our finances. I, I grew up uh, with the American dream, just like a lot of us, right? And built within the fabrics of it is this idea that you can, right, come to America and you can build, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and become whoever you would like to be, right? It's got this beauty within it, but there's part of it that has been, I would say, tarnished over the years at some level. Because at the same time that this idea that like, we have the freedom here in this country to be who we wanna be, and you know, we're not bound by class system, and you know, the uh, slavery and some of those are past us, right? Although we're still you know, working through social dynamics. But part of the beauty that we have is that we can aspire, but it's been tarnished in some ways because in the desire to be who we wanna be, We've allowed, as a people, the idea that wealth and what we buy feeds us satisfaction, that we can have within us the good life if we have just enough money to buy the right sorts of things, right? And I'm not trying to say that all of us live out this principle, but it's there whether you like it or not, hitting you in your email inbox over and over again, just coming at you by the next best thing, right? I, just the other day, I got an email, and, and some of you know that right now we're in the midst of this car crisis, right? You know, used car crisis. There's not enough chips or whatever, and so used car prices have like gone out the roof. And so I got an email from Honda Windward, nothing wrong with Honda Windward, but I got an email from them about the the Honda Pilot that we bought from them just not too long ago. And they say, of course, you'll get better than ever, better than ever price on your Honda Winder, and you can upgrade to the newest model yet, the newest model yet, and all the features that you want. And it was so enticing because I got on the internet and I looked up the Kelly Blue Book value of my car. And it was only like, we've had it for two years, and it was only like $4,000 difference or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like almost the same, or same price as what we bought it for, you know, like we can maybe get it. And so there I go, I drive on over to Honda Windward and I get there and I they make me sit down. I, I called them, I said, hey, can you just let me know how much this is going to be? Like, you know, all this stuff. But no, they wanted me to come in, of course. And I come in and they're going to assess my car and they're going to do all that. And then like 20 minutes later, I get in the car and you want to get in the car of what they want to sell me. 
And I start looking around, and you know what I realized? It was the exact same model. Just three or like four years newer. I got it at the early end of the, you know, the product line. And then this was like, I think the last year that they're using this model of the Honda Pilot. I like got in, I was like, oh, this is going to be a cool car worth, you know, the upgrade. And it was like, the dashboard was the same. Everything was the same. The only thing that had changed, friends, is that the cruise control could adjust based on the cars in front of you. And you know, that's super useful here in Hawaii, right? So <laughs> it was like, nothing about it was new, but there in my email, and I was just bought in, right? New or better. Of course, this is going to be better. It's going to be a better deal, all this stuff. And so I come in and I sit there. I waste my time and my life's energy only to realize that what is supposed to be flashier and newer and better is what? More of the same. More of the same. Have you ever had that, like, that feeling, right? Whenever you buy something that you really, really wanted, you knew it was going to be the best thing for you, and then all of a sudden, you get it, and then what happens maybe half an hour later, two hours later, you, a day later, it just becomes normal. Like you're like waiting in the mail. I remember it was my first computer that I bought after college. And I was really excited because it was my second version of my Mac computer and I was going to be using it in my professional life and I was doing some communication stuff at the church there that I was at. And I was so excited because we bought a new computer and I, it's going to come in the mail and I'm ready to go. And you know what happened? I opened it up. And guess what happened? Dung! The same sound was made, right, that Apple makes when you turn it on. And guess what? It's running the same operating system. It was literally identical as the computer that I had before, and then it was just the same, right? It's faster and it was better. And it was that time that I realized in that moment, I mean, I still get new computers and stuff because it serves a practical purpose of speed and stuff, but there was something in me that like really desired that I was gonna get some sense of satisfaction out of this new thing, only to remind myself that this new thing was just another version of the same, of the same. I wonder how many of you have kind of fallen into the marketing that goes on in our society. Because you might have a principle of simplicity or enough, but you are, like all of us, bombarded by the messages of our society that you need to buy more, buy newer, by shinier. And if only we could do those things, you will have that sense of like satisfaction, identity. There's a writer, Donald Miller, who wrote a book, Blue Like Jazz, back when I was in college. And he, it's kind of these quasi-Christian fiction books, but he eventually transitioned, I've mentioned it before uh, in worship services, transitioned to talking about marketing and talking about brand development. But one of the things he says is that the effective companies that sell products, they don't just sell you a product because it's newer. They sell you an identity. They sell you an identity. Use, for example, the famous slogan by Nike. And I went to Portland, Oregon with uh, the bishop of uh, the annual conference, and we did an innovation training probably like three years ago or so. And we listened to one of the best designers that Nike had to offer. You know, the one who was create, creating the coolest looking shoes. I mean, he worked on like the, the first or second itineration of the Air Jordans and, you know, one that che like checks the box on all of the designs and the color schemes and everything that comes off. And he wanted to know what he said. It's not the colors or the 
stuff in the shoes that make it what you want. You want to know what makes it what you want? The slogan, just do it. Just do it. Because you now are sold something that can allow you to just do it. That you are the athlete. You can own that identity because they've given you the right because you have bought their product. And now you can do it. It's so vague. You could, you know, do golf, basketball, soccer, whatever, but it gives you an identity, and that's what we're sold throughout our society, right? And there's always that leg that we have to climb on the ladder to have just the right amount of, you know, nest egg for ourselves that we can live comfortably when we retire, or if I just get that one more promotion, you know, when I retire from the military, I might, you know, have just enough to be able to, like, do what we want. But it never ends, friends. It never ends. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this because over and over again throughout the Gospels, you know, he has some harsh things to say about money at times. And I don't think it's necessarily because money is bad in and of itself, but it often becomes that way. And it certainly was the case when this rich young man comes to Jesus. And this rich rich young man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And then Jesus says to this young man, sell your possessions and follow me. Sell your possessions and follow me. Now, I don't know that Jesus is saying to everyone, sell your possessions and follow me. But someone who has a decent amount of money, what do they know about their money? It can buy you a whole lot. And it can get you most of the things that you want in life. That's what they sell to us, at least, right? That you can buy life's fulfillment through the money that you have and that you've achieved in your journey. But Jesus knew that that desire, that intention, this idea that if I give something, I just get it when I want it, is not how we inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus knew within the spirit of this young man that he thought he could buy the world. And so says to him, sell your possessions. Sell your possessions. Give it away and you will find eternal life. Over and over again, we're bombarded by the ideas of the celebrities in our lives and the rich and the famous having it all. Yet over and over again, we read in the tabloids and our news, calamity, mental illness, divorces. Friends, if we think that money can buy us a life of happiness, just turn on your television, open your newspaper, and you'll see that it cannot. That we cannot buy the next product to own our identity. Our identity has been given to us already. One of the principles within the Old Testament, Hebrew poetic and wisdom literature, is the idea of fearing God. 
fearing God, which I know we hear in the fear of God, right? And we don't really understand it, especially with Halloween, you know, we think the scary monster in the sky. But fearing God, as described by the Hebrew poetic and wisdom literature, is recognizing our complete and utter dependency upon God. Recognizing our dependency upon God for our very life. You see, we, remember American Dream, like to think that we can own it all, we can have it all, we can be independent. But one of the strongest, friends, biblical principles that we have is that we cannot. That running counter to all of what we hear in society and in the, in the marketing that we're given is that ultimately, when it comes down to it, we're dependent. And it's a vulnerable feeling to feel that. But there's something about that vulnerability that makes life more worth living, isn't it? God wanted the Israelites to learn a sense of dependence. So God said that enough is enough. You don't have to store it up in the silos, that if you live with the manna and quail that's provided in the wilderness, you will find enough. And over and over again, God calls us to that, to live with enough, not because it's bad in itself to have, but because there's something about recognizing our need. That song, you know, we sang, Lord, I need you. That in the spirit of seeing our need, we might find our life. In the spirit of finding out that we are in need, we might find our life. Hold on, pause for the motorcycles. And God wants us to live that sort of life. And so on this day, we look at the questions around how we live out that with our finances as well. Just next week, you're going to get a letter from the church around our stewardship campaign and inviting you to pledge your commitments for 2022. And, and one of the ways and reasons at which we give, right, to God through our local churches is to acknowledge that we can live with enough, there's the analogy of how you live your life, right? And those who have chosen to give to support those in need. And that's one of the things that we do through our church. And it has 10 apples listed, uh, displayed in front. And if you have 10 apples displayed in front of you and you take away one apple, how many are you left with? Nine. And we've learned to, to think that we need the more, the next, and everything, and so we hold on to what we have and we keep it for ourselves, or that's the desires that we're told. But those of you who know, who have given generously and throughout your life, know that the way that you give brings just as much life 
seen the good that you can do through your gifts goes so much further than getting into that car and realizing it is almost the same. (laughs) Maybe a little bit different, but it still gets me from point A to point B. And as we look throughout the globe and we look at some of the crises that are happening, not just now, but throughout history, how many of them have been driven by a sense of needing more. And there's a book called Race to Zero, and it talks about the global impact of our our need to have as cheap of a product as possible. And although it's cheaper for us when we go to Walmart or Amazon or wherever the big box store is, it has a social impact on the people that have to produce it. I mean, did you know to make a t-shirt is still to make a t-shirt, right? Doesn't matter how many you sell, it's still someone has to make it. And if it goes from $5 down to 25 cents, someone still has to make it. But we're told to think that buying less and getting more is good, right? Because this idea that we have to have more and the better but it's led to so many problems systemically throughout the globe and we don't see it because we just offer money and get in return. So how do we give both to our local church, but how do we spend our money in our day-to-day practices can change the world? And this is not, I'm not trying to tell you like a bragging right to put myself on a pedestal at all because I know so many more people that are uh, more generous. But one of the things that Ashley and I learned and we were developing our spiritual habits and divinity school, when I was in divinity school, and like what were we gonna focus on? And, and one of the things that we began to do was we began to shop at local farmer's markets and try to find sustainable food. And you know what I heard every time from people? And I saw it in my bank account. It's so much more expensive, right? That's what they say. So much more expensive. How are you able to do that? You know, the price for uh, organic, you know, farm raised or pasture raised meats or chicken or something like that is like double or whatever it is. And we realized that at the time. But we had a, a strong sense that we wanted to change our practices to better the environment. And so that's one of the re- reasons. We didn't do it because, of, but you want to know what we found out? What we found out? If you didn't eat meat as much, you'd save money. (laughs) It seems crazy, right? But we learned that, yes, it was more to spend in this way, but because we watched what we were spending and we found out other recipes that were cheaper to make because they're bean and rice-based or they use even cheese and vegetables, was a way if we ate that a few days a week instead of having, I mentioned last week, I'm a meat and potatoes, right? I fall into that. That we were able to have enough. But isn't that how it works? And, and you can choose to do that, but I'm just saying that that's one of the ways in which we chose to spend our money differently. Not just giving the money to uh, our church and to the nonprofits that we give to, but then how do we spend it in our day-to-day lives? can change the world. And yes, it might mean you spend more because you went to a local shop versus, you know, the big box store. But 
we can learn that there's enough. We can learn to live with the principle of enough so that the global society can have a better sense of enough. But then also our local communities as well. Because that same principle around food, around Sabbath, and around our finances apply. Learning to let go of just a portion. Or, and I know it's speaking to people that have more, learning to spend differently, even if it means spending more on the right things, things that go to support the people that produce. those individual choices can change the world. Because the world is coming at us saying, buy more, buy newer, buy shinier. And God is telling us you cannot inherit the gifts of the spirit of joy, compassion, through the money and the things you can buy with it. So I invite you, I invite you to open your letters if you get them from the stewardship campaign. I invite you also to reflect on how you might be spending your money. I also invite you to do something. Maybe journal some things you're grateful for in the morning when you wake up. Maybe journal some things about yourself, in fact, that you're grateful for. Because one of the things they try to sell you, right, is that you will be enough when you buy enough. But friends, you are enough now. Own the goodness in you, and perhaps you'll succumb less to the desires that you're bombarded with, on TV, in the news. You cannot go anywhere, not even on your drive home, without encountering marketing, my friends. <laughs> but the same could be true without that soft, subtle whisper that God speaks to each and every one of us, day after day. You are my beloved. You are enough. Even in your need, you know it more than ever. So when we say, Lord, I need you, we find out the trueness of our identity, that we're still and especially enough and beloved children of God. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we know that you have given us more than we need. And we know that some throughout the world don't have enough. So help those of us who have more live with this idea of enough. 
that through giving to our uh, local church, through the nonprofits that we support through it and in our own lives, through the gifts that we offer the world, more might have enough. And through watching the ways that we buy, and not just buying less because we get more, but buying goods and services and products that care about those who produce and make and the dignity and the worth that they have, we might learn that there's enough while others find enough. So lead us into a life of simplicity where we recognize our dependence on you day by day, just like the Israelites wandering in the desert. And we remember the harsh lesson, just like the, young, the rich young man, that money cannot buy it all. And yet we're still God's beloved we still have enough. Amen.